Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with my fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how's everything going today? Uh, so good. How are you? Great. Like long time no see, right? I know. I mean, at least I get to see you through the screen, Marty, not in Absolutely. person. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, you never know. Soon. Hopefully soon, right? Yes. Always. There's always hope. <laughs> Agreed. I'm glad we have hope, Wendy. But speaking of hope, I think we can hopefully help people fix this common compensation. So why don't you tell people what we're talking about today? Yes. Well, again, based on some of the feedback that we've gotten, um, people wanted us to kind of go back to the basics. And that's what Marty and I wanted to do. And we were taking different compensations that we see very, very often. So some that are very common um, in our clientele, as well as what we've seen and, and heard based on the Facebook page, as well as some of our interactions that we've had with you guys via email. And one of the compensations people ask us about commonly is the arms fall forward compensation. They want to know a little bit more about how we can, you know, help identify it first and foremost. What does it look like? What if it's minor? And some of the little key tips that you and I have when we're doing some of the assessments. And then we wanted to provide you guys with some reasons for it. So what's causing the compensation, what's allowing the compensation. And then Marty and I put together a program of something that uh, we wanted to share with you guys on ways that we would program someone that was really specifically needing some corrective exercise. However, some of you guys don't have the CES, hopefully yet, but maybe in your very near future. So we kind of did a blend of that along with a phase one workout. Yeah. I mean, this is a compensation that I work on myself constantly. Uh, I've improved it a lot. It gives me, you know, when I do my correctives and a lot that you'll see in this program keeps me pain-free, no problems, and keeps me allowed to train in any phase of training I want. But I have to keep plugging along on this corrective exercise strategy. Well, absolutely. And I think it's sometimes one of the most important things to really realize that it can be because of your hips, not necessarily because of the shoulder and the head. And, you know, we'll talk about why, and it's mainly because of the lats and the origin and insertion point of, of the lats that can be a huge muscle that's overactive that can cause not only the arms fall forward, but also the anterior pelvic tilt or the low back arch. So, um, you know, hopefully you guys will enjoy today. I'm excited to cover it and go over the information. So why don't we jump right on in? Absolutely. So, Wendy, we've kind of already talked about this, but what we are planning on covering today is what the arm shoulder compensation, arm fall forward looks like. Also, shoulder internal rotation, which is incredibly common. Talk about dysfunction and how to identify that shockingly through our assessments, not just by guessing. You mentioned how we're going to design specific programs. And then once again, how do we talk about reassessing? When do we do it? structured reassessments versus just reassessing people throughout their workouts. But we're going to do those formal reassessments every four to six weeks. Yes. And again, one of the very first ones that we're going to start with is the overhead squat assessment. This is our go-to assessment, mainly because most people can squat. Most people can lift up their arms. However, there are some situations where this might not be for your client. And if so, we have other solutions that you can um, read about in the textbook. We're not going to cover all of them or we'd be here for multiple hours. But when you're doing the overhead squat, you know, we're really looking to like you're assessing someone's dynamic control and their neuromuscular efficiency and how their body moves in motion. 
So, you know, I always look at somebody when they're standing and talking to me. I see, especially when we're focusing on the upper body, what's happening at their shirt. And when we talked about internal rotation, guys, remember, we're talking about the shoulders that are kind of in a forward position. So often when you, when someone has internal rotation, even without movement, if you're just watching them and they're standing there talking to you, you're going to see like a big C, like it'll make kind of like an indention versus it being straight and flat from the, the pecs and the shoulder, or you're going to see a ton of wrinkles around the armpit area. So when someone is really, they have a lot of internal rotation before you even do anything, you're going to notice some of these as key takeaways even before that. So you're going to make a mental note. But then at that point, you're going to set them up in the five kinetic chain checkpoints, which you're going to see in the picture here. Um, you're always going to think that their feet are going to be pointed straight ahead. You're going to look at the kneecap, make sure that that's in line with the second and third toe. You're going to help them find neutral position of their spine. And then at that point, you're going to have them raise their hands overhead. And this is the one thing that I know Marty and I have seen multiple times in workshops. I see it with my clients. I'll tell someone to raise their hands and it looks like they're under arrest, like they they don't extend their elbows or their hands are just kind of out in front of them. What you want to think about is you want to try to when you're putting someone in the kinetic chain checkpoints, keep their chin back. So therefore, if you look from a um, lateral view, you're going to look at their ankle, their knee, their hip, their shoulder. And you also want to think that their hands are in line with that position when you're starting. If somebody cannot do that, that's an automatic compensation that you're going to note even before movement occurs. But then also as they're raising their hands over their head, watch their lower back and see if you see a change. Once you get them into that, the five kinetic chain checkpoint, see if you see a change in their hips. And if so, do they start to kind of arch their back? Because if that's the case, you're going to know that the lats are playing a significant role in some of the compensations you're going to see as they actually begin their squat. So please keep in mind, again, Marty and I are talking today about the arms falling forward. We're doing this Master Instructor Roundtable to help you guys. But first and foremost, it's super, super important that you put them in the five kinetic chain checkpoints. Then have them squat from like at least five times from the anterior view. Then turn them to the side. Reset them up if needed do um, five more squats if they can again to about chair level and then at that point you can also if you want turn them backwards and look at them from a posterior view now again posterior view is kind of more optional but i know marty does it i do it it just allows me to kind of get a really good picture from all different views of what i'm seeing but uh, anything that remotely looks like there's a change you're going to mark it even if it's slight Great recap, Wendy, and this is why I think it's so important that we talk about this. So for any of you that are just joining us today, Wendy Batts and I are talking about the common movement compensation of arms fall forward. So this is something you're going to see all the time, but that doesn't mean you can't train your clients and get them through different phases of training in a reasonable time frame. It's just we have to address this in their targeted warm-up through corrective exercise if you have that uh, credential and or in phase one, this just has to be addressed. So that way it gives you more ability to open up the world of fitness to them. Because if somebody has this compensation and you try to do more challenging and aggressive exercises, this is where you can lead them down a potential path of maybe having some shoulder or low back type of dysfunction or uh, you know discomfort. So this is why it's so important, but it's really you know pretty straightforward on what we need to do what we need to target from foam rolling and lengthening and then activating and integrating.
But the key thing is to not just ignore it. As Wendy went through just a few seconds ago, really understand how to do the assessment, what to look for, so that way you can address it. Yes. And then, you know, there are other assessments. And if we go to the next slide, I mean, we're going to think about um, looking at everything as a whole. And again, you want to have an, a holistic approach with everything that you're doing, because again, look at someone before they move, look at them in their static posture. And then when we talk about transitional movements, we're talking about the overhead squats, the single leg squats, the modified squats. You know, so those are when we, when we talk about transitional movements, that's what we're really talking about. But then you also want to think if you've taken our new corrective exercise and you've learned a lot about the mobility assessments, again, those are extremely key too, because as you do some of the mobility assessments, if you notice something in the overhead squat or the single leg squat or whatever it is that you're doing, and then you do a mobility assessment, it's either a pass or fail. Can they do it or can they not do it? And if they can, but you notice there was a compensation, then what that means to you as a trainer when you're programming for that is that you're going to specifically look more on or focusing more of, on the weaker muscles or the lengthened muscles that were uh, that's allowing that compensation to happen. So it's not necessarily a restriction at the joint. It just means that because those muscles are so weak that it's just going into that position. It's allowing that to happen. And so even if you notice whether you're doing any of these um, assessments, again, even if it's minimal, you're going to mark it down because as they get more tired, then you're going to see it become definitely more apparent. And then if you don't do something about it, it's going to then become kind of the norm. And that's what we don't want. If you guys are brand new to this information, that solutions table that is in the textbook or that can be found on NASM.org, just print it out have it with you. And the more that you go back and look at it, it starts to become second nature. And then when you're designing programs, it doesn't take you all day. And I think that's the big thing. That's one complaint that we hear. Well, if I sit down and I write these programs, it takes me forever. But the thing is, is it shouldn't like, it should be like, you know what, there's, you have the assessments, the assessments are going to tell you exactly what's overactive, exactly what's underactive. That's how you're going to program your foam rolling and your, your um, stretching is the overactive muscles. And then what's listed on that solutions table is underactive. Those are going to be the key muscles to help you on the activation side. And then at that point, you can do whatever you want with them. You can do any full body, any chest, back, whatever, but get them set up into the best scenario first. So they're going to be able to be more successful. And the more that you practice these assessments, you look at the more advanced assessments, it makes life so much easier. And then again, if you haven't done the mobility assessments, you're old school, like Marty and I are, and you love the goniometer, the goniometer is this thing, guys. Literally, I just got home from seeing clients, so I had this in my back pocket when I sat down. That's why it's right here. <laughs> okay, it's a human protractor, all right? And basically, we're looking at different joint motions, and you're reading these different numbers that are on here, and it'll tell you Based on ideal range of motion, where is your client at? And if there's a restriction, then you know you need to focus more on the overactive muscles. If it is not restricted at the joint, then you need to focus more on the underactive muscles to get better movement. And I think one of the key things that you mentioned there, Wendy, is you know about the importance of this assessment. Imagine if somebody has compensations just with their arms above their head. It's not loaded. And if they can't maintain the structural integrity of their cervical spine, their shoulder complex, their low back, what's going to happen when they start doing weighted exercises? 
whether it's a dumbbell, whether it's a kettlebell, whether it's a barbell, like you and I could talk about which one would be better to use. But if they're showing compensation just with the weight of their arms, it's only going to get worse when you start having them load anything above their head. So this is why it's crucial that we address any compensation before we start loading those movement patterns. So that way they can learn to move well and move efficiently. And then we can talk about how to load it. Yeah. And I mean, and, and what's great is, I mean, there was something that was sent to us and Marty, I know you were a part of it. I mean, there are studies that show corrective exercise works, especially with cervical spine, forward shoulders. And I mean, it's phenomenal because in the studies that, that we're seeing and that are actually being published, you're going to see there's a significant change in someone's posture and how their ability to move and feel better by just being able to identify what was the issue and then what are the corrective exercise strategy around that? So it's not like Marty and I love to talk about this for the sake of talking about it, guys. Mm. There's actually re there's research to support it. And I think that's one of the reasons we're even more passionate about it, because I know that it works for myself. And I'm one of those that I want to go in. I want to dive deep and I need someone to prove it to me. And then I need to prove it to myself. And then when I see how well it's helping my clients and I see the progression that they're making, it makes a significant ant impact not only for how they feel but then again for my business because i know that i'm on the right track and so i think that's also something that's very important to note that you know you just have to find it first and then we gave you the solutions table to tell you what to do with it and i think for me one important thing is i know you think the same wendy that everyone should take the corrective exercise specialist because it truly is the foundation and when we learned it it was integrated into the obt model but, you know, when do you know, I travel a ton and when I'm working from home and everything's structured and I'm always getting my correctives in, I can just tell I move better. But when I start traveling a little bit and whether it's more time sitting in an airplane or however, whatever, I can tell I'm like, oh man, you know, that little tightness that I have being my left shoulder, I'm like, okay, you know what I mean? It's all it takes is one or two days. Now, I don't say that in a bad way. I say this just like we've accepted that, you know, we brush and floss our teeth. Wendy, of course, I'm going to use that as an example, inside joke. But, you know, we floss our teeth every day. It's not something you do once and figure, well, I floss my teeth once. I shouldn't have to ever do it again. Corrective exercise is that just restoring human movement, you know, a very targeted warm up. So that way you're always moving your best or working towards moving at your best. So that's why even if you don't want to, be isolated like Wendy or I really just enjoy doing corrective exercise programs with people. We will do all types of training. Some people have really found their niche. I still will always recommend that you bring it back to having an understanding of corrective exercise because all your clients are going to need some level of it to some point each and every day. Yes. And I am a huge advocate because it worked for me. It kept me out of surgery. I'm a huge believer and it's done that the same for my clients. And it doesn't matter what level of client I'm training. It doesn't matter if it's one of my seniors. It doesn't matter if it's one of my youth and it doesn't matter if it's a professional athlete, corrective exercise and any kind of movement assessment. If you're not assessing, you're guessing all of it plays a role into helping someone get to their goals. Even if it's at a very high level, if they're not moving correctly, then you are not helping them achieve their best result. And so it really is looking at the foundation, having a basic understanding. You don't have to know every origin and insertion, and we get that a lot too. You don't have to, but it is important to know the function of a muscle, what it's doing and where it's located. So therefore, when you're designing these programs, you can make sure that you have a targeted approach 
if you're trying to specifically activate a particular muscle and knowing kind of what that muscle does is only going to help you when you're when you're programming too. So, you know, I think it's I think we can't stress the assessments enough. And those of you guys that are just joining, I'm Wendy Batts here with Marty Miller. And today we're talking about arms falling forward on the Master Instructor Roundtable. And we're, you know, we're excited to talk about this topic because, you know, having the arms fall forward can tell us a ton of information of what's going on at the hip, what's going on at the shoulder, what can end up leading and going on in the head. And so I think it's a very, very important topic to cover. And so far, we've talked about our own personal stories, but we've, we've hit on the assessments and the importance of that. For sure. So here is just plain and simple. If you, if you are joining us, you've probably seen this before. If you've gone through any of the NASM content, you know what we do with our movement assessments. If you're new to this, this is where we start everything after our client intake and obviously getting the rapport and understanding if they're medically clear to exercise, we start with movement assessments. So we have our overhead squat assessment. Wendy talked about the very beginning, why it's a total body you know, assessment on the neuromuscular control and their movement strategies, how their body has decided to move. And we know there's ideal and not ideal. And through years of research, we understand that if we see certain patterns, we understand the overactive and underactive muscle tissues. And there are an evidence-based approach to how to address those. So here, since we're talking about arms fall forward, you're going to start as uh, you see here with the gentleman, at least from the anterior and the lateral view, looking at him go through five to 10 squats, depending on the client's abilities. Sometimes the more squats you're capable of having them do, fatigue sets in and sometimes their compensations show up a little bit more. The key thing is to make sure that their arms are fully above their head when they start. So that way, at least you'll know whether their arms fall forward or not. So when you're starting somebody, unless they're incredibly tight, you from the lateral view, you should not see their ear. Now, some people let their head fall forward we're talking in a position where their head is in a neutral uh, position with the spine as well. So if we look at that middle picture, as you see, you're going to draw you know, a line from his hips through his ear, through the spine. And if his arms migrate forward, then you'll see arms fall forward. In the book, they show kind of a dramatic version of it, where <laughs> to me, it's almost like down at chin level. I've yet to see that due to just a pure compensation. Sometimes they just get lazy and don't think about it. It's a little, uh, a little exaggerated. Usually you'll see, you know, where it gets to about, I would say maybe covers their nose if their head's in the right position. But anytime you see those arms fall forward, it doesn't matter to us if it's a lot or a little, it is. Because if we're ignoring it when it's a little, guess what's going to happen? It's going to become a lot. So that's what we're looking for. And then to determine, as Wendy mentioned, is it coming from the hips? Is it coming from somewhere else? You do the modified where you take the their arms down and put their hands on their hips and see if their squat cleans up or not. You might see different movement compensations and that's a whole other conversation. But if things, you know, tend to get better, then you know when their arms are above their head that that lat muscle is causing a lot of the problem because it's on stretch. Yeah. And, and I always say too, you know, especially if you're new to this, when you're looking, um, you know, for those parallel lines, again, you know, you're trying to make sure the shin and the torso stay in line with each other. Well, basically, you know, yes. Can you see the ear? That's an indication. But as Marty just said, very often, especially since the pandemic, we've noticed more and more necks coming forward um, because people have been looking down, they've been on their electronics, they're on their computer and they're doing more. So that is a, a very common compensation. So if someone cannot keep a neutral position in their neck, 
then what you'll see is, you know, yeah, their arms may be in line with their ears. And, and if their head is forward, you may not see the ear. So if you're looking from a lateral view, instead of focusing on the ear, look at the torso and the arms should be in line with the torso as well. Like you should be able to make a straight line. And as Marty mentioned, even if it migrates just a tad, it is a compensation. And so you definitely want to mark it. And I definitely have this compensation. <laughs> I can own it. I'm okay with it. I'm okay. <laughs> Well, the common compensation, as you're going to see here, and, and, you know, one of the things is, is like I said, look at the torso and then look at the arms in relation. And so as you can see in this individual, I mean, this is pretty common, but she not only has a low back arch or an anterior pelvic tilt, she also has the arms falling forward. And so at that point, when we did the modified overhead squat and we took the arms down and had them place it on their hips, and then they squatted, did you still see the arch in the back? And that's another indication. Well, okay, if you didn't, then you know that it is the lat that may be causing more of the arch. If the arms are down and they still have a low back arch, then it's not only the lat, but it's other things as well. And so again, it's just, you're just kind of finding pieces to a puzzle. You're not solving it yet. And oftentimes people are already thinking about exercises and programming, and they're not even done with the basics of the assessment. So just focus on one thing at a time bring out your solutions table. And then at that point, when you're done with all of it and you have the information in front of you, you're going to be able to best determine what is the best strategy for this individual. Yep. And the assessment takes 45 seconds. It does. Mobility even quicker. Can you do this? Can you not? And that brings us to this one. There you go. I'll let you, I'll let, since you love this one, I'll just let you slide right into it. Yeah. Again, guys, mobility assessments are huge because as you can see, if the client that we just saw in the previous slide, okay, she had a low back arch and her arms fell forward. That was very, very apparent. So if I didn't do any kind of mobility assessment, I would be like, oh, it's overactivity and lack of range of motion. And so therefore I need to focus a ton more on self-myofascial techniques and the strength or the stretching. Now that is important. And yes, you're still going to foam roll. You're still going to stretch. However, for that one particular assessment, and I'm looking at the arms just in general, I could do a mobility assessment such as this one, this individual, she's lying flat and she's just doing shoulder flexion. So she's doing the exact same thing, but now she's laying down. And what you're trying to do is you have someone lay, their arms are right in front of them. And then can they lift their arms over their head without bending their elbow, without compensating in the lower back? And can they reach the table easily? And if they can, then guess what? They pass. I mean, when I say these are simple, yes, you can lay them on the floor. It doesn't have to be on a table. Or if you want to, you can even put them flat up against a wall. And you're looking for those same things. What's happening at the arch, what's happening at their elbow, and then can they reach the wall without compensation, like elevation, anything moving in their, their, their uh, cervical spine. And if they can, then at that point, you're going to say, oh, wait a minute, I need to change this a little bit because maybe it's really not the overactivity of the lat, but more of the underactive muscles that are causing those, those compensations to occur. So again, when I'm programming, I know that I need to focus on the underactive muscles a little bit more, even though I will still probably approach foam rolling with the lat and then doing some T-spine work in order to bring myself back, especially if I think that they have any turn, like any kind of internal rotation of the shoulder. Yep. And that T-spine work is so important. Yes. And Marty, go ahead and you can take us through the next one. <laughs> oh, 
goniometer, your your other favorite. So yes, Wendy and I like gonies. Uh, we were trained on them, and it's just one of those things. It's like riding a bike. Once you learn how to do it, it's it's very easy. It just it can be uh, intimidating for somebody brand new if you're trying to learn on your own. You just have to know the anatomy very well, and you have to just know how to use it. As you'll see here, uh, you know, there's two parts to it. There's the movement arm, and then there's the arm that is stationary, right? So then you get your angle. And really, when you look at the numbers, you just have to know how to read the numbers, whether it's getting smaller or bigger. But there's so much information out there. And what I like about this uh, is you can get very specific with it, right? So the mobility is kind of a, a gross movement pattern assessment, where with the goniometer, we're looking really now we can start to look at smaller increments of improvement and really understand where somebody's at. And then for me, I like to see right versus left because I can see what the percentage differentiation is. But if you don't know how to do that at this point or don't care about that type of information, the mobility assessments are phenomenal. That's why we have both. So what you're seeing here is they have the stationary arm with the mid axillary line, which is think about your spine. And then the other arm of the, the goniometer is going through the midline of the humerus. And you're going to allow that arm to go back until you start to see or what we'll tend to do is put our hands right on the scapula, our fingers, kind of pinch it. And then as soon as we start to feel that scapula tip, it we stop right there. We don't allow any tipping because that's a compensation. So we can get a little more specific with it with the gonometric measurement. But again, if this person was doing the mobility, uh, you would notice that. They would not trick you and pass with as tight as they are. You just wouldn't have the number that you're looking for. Right. And, and I mean, I do 160. Yeah. I was going to say ideal yeah. range is 160. I mean, again, you're going to notice that some people have like, it just, it seems so easy. I mean, easily can put their hands behind there, but then you're also going to have some individuals that on the left side, it goes way back and it was simple. And on the right side, it's like, Ooh, they got this bend in their elbow. And so, you know, just because, you, you see something on one arm and it doesn't matter in, if you're doing your overhead squat, you're doing a modified squat, you're doing any kind of mobility testing, or if you're using a goniometer, if you notice that there's a difference between the left and right, then you're going to note that because again, some, some people do repetitive movements on one side, there's a more dominant arm that could take place and there might be a different strategy because just because it's on one side doesn't mean you have to program everything to be identical. Because again, we're trying to get good range of motion. If you have good range of motion on one side, but not the other, we're going to focus a little bit on the corrective side of the, the side that isn't um, as ideal as the other. So therefore we can even you out. Yep. We're looking for quality of movement, not quantity of movement. Exactly. So Marty, we brought the solutions table to the slide because you know what? We, it just wouldn't be right if we just talked about it, but didn't tell you what would cause and allow it. So when we're thinking about, again, this can all be found on your solutions table that NASM has provided you. And so for the particular arms falling forward, the overactive muscles, meaning the muscles that are causing the compensation to occur, meaning the overactive muscles that you're going to foam roll and stretch. Okay, so here's your program. Okay, what are the overactive muscles? Well, you're gonna foam roll your lats, your pecs, your teres major, and then, I mean, this again, too, when you're thinking about the, sh the shoulder here, I mean, that one's a, a really small area, but you can actually stretch some of these and, and put this in your program. If you only wanna pick three, then think about the three major ones right there. And if you're foam rolling the lats and you slightly lean back, you're automatically on your teres major. So it's not like you have to reposition yourself into all of these different you know, um, areas that is gonna cause a lot of 
it's not going to take a lot of time because it doesn't. But whatever you're foam rolling, I strongly suggest, suggest then you go right over and then you stretch because then remember the whole purpose of rolling is to down regulate over activity. That's the first and foremost thing. Calm it down, tell it to chill out and then provide a stretch. So you're trying to realign your tissues into the proper length that it was supposed to be instead of keeping it in the shortened overactive position. Yep, that clean, that simple. Inhibit it, then turn around and go right and lengthen it. So what do you think the next slide will be? There it is. And there it is. So now we'll look at the ones that, so the, to me, the first slide is causing the improper motion. These are the ones that allow improper motion, the yin to the yang. So here, these are the ones that are going to be underactive. So you've got your mid and low trap, which help keep our shoulders in the right position. Our rhomboids, again, you know, the, I always call these the grandma muscles. Remember how she used to yell at you all the time for posture? Who They didn't know how far advanced they were, right? <laughs> when your grandma ever tell you to sit up straight, don't slouch? Of course. <laughs> Geniuses. So mid trap, low trap, rhomboids, the rotator cuff, and then the posterior delt. So most people, like that human cashew, they're flexed all day and then they go in the gym and do crunches and benches and all that. Right. And then very little of the opposite. So I always, and again, this is just my philosophy is I will always, if I'm doing upper body, I like to do a push pull day. I will always finish my exercises on pulling, not pushing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And as you can see, even in this picture, this picture of Mel doing it, you can see that she's completely locked in her ankles because she can't, <laughs> she can't, squat without going into an excessive forward lean, but look at the arms and this is common, but you're going to see, remember I said, sometimes what you're going to notice on the left side versus the right side may not be the same. And this is a prime example. As you can see, the left arm is lower than the right. Now, both of them are like, there is a compensation on both. So yes, you would mark that as a, you know, they, they definitely have arms falling forward bilaterally. However, then I would make a note left is worse. And I know you, you would break out the goniometer and get it down to the degree. I would. I would. Nothing wrong with that. No, no, no problem with that. <laughs> and if you guys are just joining Marty Miller and I today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about the arms falling forward. So I think the first thing that hopefully you guys have gathered for every compensation Marty and I have talked about, you have to do assessments. If you're not assessing, you're guessing. So do an overhead squat. You know, if you notice that the arms fall forward or there's an anterior tilt or low back arch, drop the hands on the hips, do a modified one, see if you see any difference. If so, you're going to mark the difference. And then if you can take it to the next level, go into some mobility and or goniometer. So you either find the measurements with the goniometer or do some just laying flat and lifting arms overhead into shoulder flexion, whether you're standing or lying in a supine position, it's going to tell you a lot. But then you're, all you're going to do then, take that solutions table, you're going to pull it out in front of you, and then at that point, you're going to design the program. So think about everything that Marty and I just talked about with the overactivity. And you're going to notice, what are the three major ones we talked about that were overactive? Would be your lats, your pecs, and your teres major. So guess what you're going to do? You're going to foam roll your lats, your teres, and, your, and um, your pecs. And so, again, you find a tender spot. You're just going to roll slow and controlled. So again, you're not putting out a fire. If you're rolling fast, it is not going to help because what's going to happen is your body's still going to hold on. Those muscle spindles think that all these changes are, you know, something bad. So it's not going to relax. It's going to continue to, to hold on for dear life. 
What you want to do, slow and controlled, find something tender and then marinate. Stop on the areas that are tender, wait for either, you know, 20 to 30 seconds or until you feel a release. And then you can move on that muscle a little bit more. When you're doing the lats, make sure that the arm is completely extended when you're laying on your side. And also think about when you're rolling your lats that you don't go past your shoulder blade. So when you have the, the foam roller in your armpit, you don't want to go below your shoulder blade because you have floating ribs. So as a safety, just think about staying where the meat is. And then from that point, if you slightly lean back and, you know, and relax on that, you're going to hit your Terry's major. And if you slightly lean forward, you're going to get into your pec. And so some people like to use a, like a sphere or a small ball to get more in the pec. Um, it's whatever's comfortable and whatever's going to allow you to find those tender areas the easiest. But then you're going to notice, guess what? Right after that, you're going to stretch your lats and your pecs. And again, when you're looking at this program, try to think what can you get done in an hour, really focusing on the acute variables, meaning the sets, the reps, and the tempo. Because as soon as you're done doing that, if you choose to do dynamic stretching, then one of the ones that Marty and I really like for this compensation are bear crawls. And again, they're just doing one set, slow and controlled. They're doing 10 reps of it. And you're making sure that they have really good posture throughout. Yep. And a dynamic stretch does not have to be explosive. A dynamic stretch can be a movement patterning and you can still make it slower and controlled. So there are other choices, but sometimes I get that question when you're like, wait a minute, you said dynamic, but you said slow. Dynamic is multi-joint movement in multiple planes a lot of times but you can still go at a slower tempo. Yeah. And it's through the full available range of motion. So, you know, think about this, this is preparing your body. So yet yeah, we have done nothing. Like I always say, and I know Marty has heard this a thousand times. If you're looking at this template where it says warm up, activation and skill development, that's your warm up to me. Mm -hmm. All of that is your warm up. You don't get to the workout until it says resistance training. And to me, there's your program. So all of this should be, full available range of motion, working on ideal movement patterns, making sure your five kinetic chain checkpoints are there and that they can control, you know, their movements, they're drawing in, there's no compensation and that they can execute it correctly. Absolutely. And then, you know, I'll just kind of go through the activation here real quick sure. is there's walk, there's plank variations, right? There's a lot of different things you can do with planks. So you're going to pick the ones that are most appropriate, but we like planks because it gets uh, the whole body move. And when I say moving, meaning integrated and in learning to communicate with each other, especially when you uh, do the planks correctly, you'll see down the list here, resistance training, there's push up with a plus, but I always do like the planks with a plus two, where I'm pushing into the ground to make that my, make sure that my scapulas aren't collapsed, right? If my mm -hmm. arms are falling forward, I want to make sure all the muscles that enter around the scapula are activated. So I'm very cognizant to make sure that I teach that. Again, the chin would be in a neutral position. We talked about how a lot of people have that forward head. So uh, just any plank that you feel is appropriate for that individual. So Wendy, I know you put plank walks, but I just want to make yeah. sure that you can explain that the sure. way uh, you design. So think about walk. so think about this again. Now, this is someone that I uh, you would want to make sure that they can perform, you know, 12 normal what we would consider normal planks or, you know, um, just where they're either on their knees or on their toes. And as Marty said, they're not they're not winging. They've got good good motion throughout and they can maintain neutral position throughout their entire spine. Their glutes can stay activated and their abs are drawn in. And so their planks are really good. When you have somebody with the arms falling forward, again, we really want to work on 
you know, the shoulder stabilization, you want to work on the actual, um, all the muscles that, you know, protect your shoulder capsule. And so if you're in a plank position, then basically from that point where your elbows are, so if you're this way, as you, as you come up, you're going to go where your elbow was, and then you get into a, like a high plank or a push-up position, and then you come down back onto your forearms. So they're walking in a plank position just on their hands. And let's say they will go left arm for six, and then they can switch and do right arm for six. Maintaining again, making sure that every time they're coming up, they've got a flat back. So as Marty said, adding that plus, that's going to help the serratus and help the shoulder blades lie flat onto the rib cage. And they would do that for reps. But again, that's more of an advanced one. And like Marty said, there's a ton of different variations. It's just we're looking for more shoulder stabilization exercises. And this is a really good way to strengthen the shoulder capsule in a, in a more of a unique way. Yep. So I call those up, up, down, down, but perfect. So we're on the same <laughs> page. There you go. So obviously, I think everyone is comfortable with, with the rest of the workout there. So this will be there so you can look through it. These are There's no exercises that we put in there that you haven't seen in your content before. And again, for every exercise that we showed, yes, there are other variations, but this was kind of that introduction to corrective exercise, hybrided with stabilization endurance that will fix that. So the key thing, you can't fix what you don't know is there. So that's why we've always talked about the assessments. You have to be able to identify the compensation. So those first two bullet points are always going to be critical to Wendy and I, whether it's a formal assessment process or an informal where somebody wants to get in and get moving away right away. Hey, let's do some to warm you up. We're going to do some body weight squats, arms up, give me 10. Either way, we're going to assess. Obviously, we're always going to record anything because we want to see the trend line. Are they going to get better with the program when we give them or do they start to even show more compensation, right? So that's why, as Wendy had pointed out and I pointed out that it doesn't have to be significant, but if it's there, let's get on it quickly. Then always work on areas to help correct faulty movement patterns. And this is so crucial as you go through the workouts that you want to be paying attention every set, every rep, because fatigue can set in or somebody can start to get distracted and all of a sudden the scapular wings or they drop their head. Well, I look at it there. I'm, I love the shades of gray in certain areas, but exercise technique is black or white. Either I'm doing it with ideal form or I'm not. If I'm doing it with not ideal form, I'm getting better at having non-ideal form. So when if you train with Wendy and I, we are sticklers to be like, tuck your chin, boom. But it's fun, but we want perfect execution. Know your progressions and regresses, regressions. And then again, do your formal assessment every four to six weeks. You can do it sooner if you're seeing great progress or if somebody actually goes in the opposite direction, you never know. They, uh, you know, might have changed jobs and other things. And all of a sudden they're, they're putting, they're sitting more, whatever the case may be. But we always will encourage you to do a formal assessment every four to six weeks. So Wendy, I think we kind of covered a lot of that. I think we did too. And again, go back, you know, look at the different exercises we chose. If you have any questions, you can always contact Marty Miller or myself. And so you can find me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at, at wendy.bats13. And then my information will be popping up here. My Instagram is at dr.martymiller72. And then my email is marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, thanks as always. Great content. Thanks for putting that amazing workout together. And thank all of you for attending. And thank you for giving this topic. 
Feel free to reach out to us anytime with anything else you'd like to cover. And we look forward to seeing all of you again next week. Mm -hmm.